Hello and welcome to another episode of The Coder Career with me, your host, Cameron Blackwood. If you aren't familiar with me already, I'm an ex-technical recruiter who has now become a software engineer. This podcast is a place to showcase people from all around the technology industry and learn lessons and gain insight from their experience. My guest today is a software engineer, entrepreneur, digital nomad, and a number of other taglines behind him. It's Nabil Freeman. How are you doing today, Nabil? Hey, Cam. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Uh, Happy to be on your podcast. Good stuff. Yeah, um, no worries at all. It's great, great to uh, great to have you on. So, well, why don't you just to start things off, give, give a sort of very brief outline of, of yourself and your experience? Um, yeah, cool. So um, I've been in startups for almost as long as I can remember now from my adult life. Uh, always been in the UK, got started on a couple of accelerators, done some startups, failed some startups traveled around the world and then ended up back here in London again, um, doing like the biggest startup so far, which is called the Salon Beauty. And that's what that's what's taking up most of my time each day. Exciting time. So there's a, there's a number of areas that we can definitely find out more about throughout this podcast, I'm sure, uh, from all of that. So I, normally how I like to kind of warm things up is to go through some quick fire questions, if that sounds good. So I'll fire some Fire some controversial hot take questions at you and see uh, see what you have to say, if that sounds good. Let's do it. Cool. So what was your very first computer that you used? Um, the first computer I ever used was when I was a little kid, and it was my uh, dad's Amstrad. Very old Oh, computer. nice. The Alan Sugar's company, right? It, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And it had, uh, it had a black screen, and it would only show green stuff. And there was a really cool drawing program, which I remember. So... My dad helped me and using like the arrow keys, we were able to like draw like a, a picture on the screen. Very primitive, but very cool. And then after that, mostly hand-me-downs, hand-me-down computers from my dad through his work or just family computers like that. It's the best way to learn on an old machine. Was that, was that, was the first one, uh, I never used any Amstrad or anything like that, but was that all like command line based or was there much of a graphical interface? Yeah, it was, it was command line and it was like, um, just you would you would load like discs and, and things like that to get things going. We we actually we actually got them out a few months back when we were cleaning out the shed. My my dad had a pretty cool collection. He had an Amstrad and he also had a couple of uh, ZX Spectrums as well. And then we tried to like we cleaned them up and plugged them in and tried to get them working. I think we got we got the Amstrad working. So credit to Alan Sugar, it all worked perfectly. <laughs> but the um, one of the ZXs was totally dead, and we're not really sure why. So. Could be like battery degradation or something, but um, yeah, probably I, moisture. I work in... Moisture on the chips. Uh, yeah, especially being in a shed as well, especially in mm-hmm. the UK. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've got no shortage of rain here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That that that's really cool. And I, I've kind of uh, classic computers is a market that's now emerging. We've now got to the point where we've had personal computers for so long. It's almost like classic cars. People are now wanting to trade, buy, sell um older machines so i've always wanted to try using a command line only interface i was born a little bit too late for that my first system was sort of windows 95 uh so barely barely getting into um graphical um interfaces at that point but yeah definitely curious to give it a go um that, that's really cool what what about your favorite tech city because you you've traveled around the world as you already alluded to Hmm. I mean, it's a really good question, and um, I, it's difficult to know to, to say which one it is because I've been I've been in London, which is obviously I mean it probably has to be London just because of the opportunity it's given me and all of the people that I know here, all my friends who are in the industry. Um, but I mean, the close contender at one time was Newcastle when Newcastle had Ignite. That was a pretty amazing place, a melting pot of ideas and companies from all over the UK and all over Europe as well, and. Um, 
I mean, shout out to Shanghai, right? Like I live there as well. And it was a very, very different vibe there. But essentially in Shanghai, what I liked about it is that everything around me seemed to be five years ahead of stuff in the UK. So it's, it's a very advanced city. Technology is really quite far ahead. And to be honest, I'd love to go back and just get like another glimpse of the future because it will probably define what I do for my next companies and stuff. So maybe Shanghai, actually. Yeah, it's interesting because um, one of my previous guests was talking about this and, and we were discussing the, the whole WeChat ecosystem and just how we don't really quite have a super app like that uh, in Europe yet. And it's yeah. potentially a huge opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I think you can see there's a bit of an arms race with, with a lot of platforms to really go for that because it because it, it seems to be an inevitable conclusion and, it, and it's so uh, it's so powerful to have that kind of monopoly over digital services. So I'm, sh- I'm sure we will have that, but we haven't quite reached it yet. Yeah, I'll be curious to see who, who sort of wins the arms race, uh, but mm. I, I guess that will come clearer. <laughs> I think with the news regarding Revolut, it looks like they, they sort of mean business, but let's see. Um, <laughs> what, what, what about uh, music or podcasts when you're working? People tend to, in my experience, sort of bias towards music when working. What, what, what about you? Mm, yeah, I, I've done both. Um, at the beginning of lockdown, I don't know what it was, if it's just because I wasn't getting out much, but I started listening to a lot of podcasts. And I would just go for the ones which were on YouTube and they had like loads and loads of episodes. So there was a lot of Joe Rogan. There was a lot of H3 podcasts just because they've got hundreds of episodes and it would be good to put them on in the background. But I think deep down, I'm more of like a music person. Um, I really like listening to like hip hop and grime and drill when I, when I, uh, when I work just because it gets me kind of like fired up. So that's the, that's the last thing I played. I was listening to a French uh, guy called Gazo this morning. Oh, nice. He's, uh, he, he released an album a few months ago called Drill FR, and it's like just absolute fire, to be honest. Gets me really, gets me going. I actually listened to a bit of French hip hop back in the day. Uh, I, I'd be quite keen to get back into it. It was like, um, how was his name? Like, Al Capote, uh, I think the yeah. guy's name was. Um, I listened to a bit of his stuff. Uh, this must have been like nice. 2012 sort of time. And I don't really speak French, so <laughs> I just like the way it sounded. It was, it's a language that lends itself very well to hip hop, I think. Yeah, man, it's so like uh, it's just so articulated. Like the, the way the way you can just like make the, the noises with your mouth and stuff. It results in just like a very aggressive flow, which just sounds really cool. And then also, I don't speak too much French, so it's kind of cool to like not understand it, but you're like listening more to the way they speak. That was um, going to be my next question. I was going to say, <laughs> do, do you speak a lot of French then? But yeah, it, it's, it just sounds so good. It's a very very cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just a very cool language. Full stop. I mean, it'd be a cool. Uh, I'd love to be able to speak it properly. Yeah, yeah, man, same, same. It's well, like my, my mom's actually fluent in French, so I, I, I really wish I can pick it up. At some point, I'll probably have the time to learn it and, and nice. get it back. Yeah, but um, I, I always wondered this with, with languages, if it's worth people of our generation actually learning the second language because of how quickly uh, stuff like NLP is advancing about whether actually we'll kind of um, render ourselves obsolete. Like I know Google have released uh, some features on like the new buds where uh, you can actively have something translated into your ear when someone's speaking to you. I, I haven't tried it personally, so I'd be curious to know how, how good it is. Yeah, so this this is super interesting. When I lived in China, I actually used Google Translate um, through a VPN while I was there. But the best thing that they had was the ability to just turn on the mic and then you would set the language of the two participants and you just hold the phone in the middle. And then both people just, I would speak English and someone else would speak Chinese and the phone would just translate what we were both saying to each other. And it was a massive, it was a, it was a godsend. I mean, it, I mean, the accuracy was not really there, to be honest. But <laughs> it, so so you, you couldn't, I mean, it's not a replacement for, for speaking it, which is why I ended up learning Mandarin. But 
like I think I think it's it's a huge huge improvement over previous generations already. But you know you know what they say with AI though, like the ninety nine percent is easy, and then like the last one percent is impossible. So yeah, very much. Could, so. It could be a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't I don't I don't know if teachers have to worry too much yet um, for foreign languages. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's interesting to think about, it, and that, that's cool. You managed to sort of get around it that way. I've I've been yeah. kind of looking at going to Japan, and it seems like a lot of people have been saying that Google Translate is basically an absolute godsend. Out oh there yeah, because, and, and it's yeah. just so it's pretty incredible, honestly. Like they've, they've built a great product, and then and then especially the camera stuff as well. Like you can point your camera at any any text, and it will just translate it for you. It's it's really impressive. It's good for a restaurant menu if you're very unfamiliar. If yeah, kind of I've used it many times. Restaurant menus, street signs, like all sorts of things. Super it's useful. very cool. Yeah, so I suppose if it's a non-Latin language as well, if we're um, we're coming from that alphabet, like you, you can can't we can at least kind of with French, you can kind of guess it a little bit and get almost there. Um, mm. Like my <laughs> girlfriend is from Belgium, and when I go, I speak a little bit of German. So when yeah. I go there, the language, like Flemish is like a mashup of like English, French and German. Yeah, so I can kind right, of yeah. get what's going on and I can kind of decode it. But like compared to something like Mandarin, <laughs> I'd be absolutely hopeless. I'd end up in the countryside <laughs> or something and trying to get a bus into town. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't know how previous generations did it, honestly. <laughs> um, what, what, what about when you're working? Would you consider yourself more of like an early bird or a night owl? Uh, definitely Night Owl goes back to when I was a teenager and I was doing a lot of like art projects at school when I was studying art. I wouldn't, I would just get nothing done all day and then I would just do an all nighter and it would be where I was most creative. And so I, so I learned that pretty early and then I've just tried to stay to that wherever possible. So, but now, now I'm like in the business world and I've got like a team around me and stuff. It's, it's a lot harder to do that, but I try and yeah. do that possible. That's an interesting combination, being uh, into art and being an artist and, and being a programmer. They're often thought of as complete opposites, but programming requires a lot of creativity. Have you, have you found that the two have complement each other very well? Oh, yeah, mate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me specifically, I think I think what a lot of people have come come to me and said is that I I have a lot more like attention to detail in terms of visual design than a lot of other developers they've worked with. And I think that comes straight from my art background, where not only do I want everything to function well as an engineer, but I also want it to function beautifully right as an artist as well so i mean those two definitely um have really like helped and given me some pretty unique opportunities i think but then also in terms of business i kind of just see like business and making products and things i see all of that as an art as well because it's just a different kind of exhibition right you put something out there for many people to use and experience and like as an artist that that's all you really want you just want to make things that have some sort of impact on the world and then just see people use them so, so it's, it, it all it, it pushes all the right buttons for me. Business mm. development, art. That's a very cool way of looking at things. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, yeah, I've never thought about it that way. But I suppose art is art, art, art is more than just painting a nice picture in that respect. It's it's delivering an amazing experience and um, definitely code definitely. can definitely I, be beautiful. Yeah, I'm not trying to sound like Steve Jobs, by the way, because it seems seems like a very like <laughs> Steve Jobsy thing to say. But but I, I really but that's really what I feel like. I, I do feel yeah. like, like truly. <laughs> no that, that that's really cool and what about when what fuels you crafting uh this beautiful code is it coffee tea or energy drinks like how do you get <laughs> how do you get the caffeine in you coffee all day every day many times a day i've got a re- i've got a really nice coffee machine it's one of the the best investments i ever made um oh, nice. it's, like, it's a drawer that like grinds the beans and it just makes perfect lattes and stuff and i just smash coffee all day yeah, I, I'm not really a huge machine coffee guy because when I was working in offices, I quickly clocked the, because uh, I always work for startups, I've realized that if you make coffee from the coffee machine, 
you have to be on the rotor to clean the coffee machine. So yeah. I realized that actually it was more efficient <laughs> for my time to go and buy a coffee elsewhere or have instant coffee, which it's a bit of a weird way of looking at the world now that I think about it. But yeah. Uh, and always, I was always terrified <laughs> of breaking the machine, but maybe that gives a bit more insight into what kind of guy I am. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cl- cleaning them is pretty hard to be honest. And if you don't do it, they go all moldy and, the worst thing is when you go to the machine and you switch it on and the machine's like, no, I don't want to make coffee. You need to clean me. And it, and it like won't let you make a coffee. It's so it's so frustrating. But I don't know. It's the price you pay, right? Like I I will, I willingly do it because it, it just gives me such good coffee. So I'm happy to do yeah. it. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> what, what about, um, I guess we, we've already talked about stuff like art as well. Uh, my next question was going to be, what job did you want to do when you were a kid? Did you already have an idea that you mm. want to be a programmer or was art more appealing or was there something completely out of left field uh, that's different? So I've, well, I mean, going back to like a little kid, it was, it was fireman, which is what I wanted to be. I was, I was really into fire engines and I really wanted to be a firefighter and I thought it'd be really fun. Um, now growing up a bit more, and, and I've told this story to a few people, which I think is the perfect example of like not being really sure what you want to do, but deep down you kind of know, is I wanted to do something where there was a, 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 a like a blend of creativity and technology. And, but I didn't know this at the time. So what happened is I bounced around wanting to be graphic designer, web designer, film editor, do post like post production, do ADR. You know ADR when you when you redo the voices on like a movie when it's too windy. I wanted to do all these things, and I did like work experience in all of these. I kept bouncing around. I wanted to be a music producer, electronic music producer. And I made loads of tracks, and I, at the end of the day, all of it was just that hybrid of like creativity and tech. And then, and then I eventually landed on tech startups, which seemed to be the perfect mixture of all of those, because all those skills that I picked up through my teenage years, they all became useful in starting a business that is in technology, programming, marketing, like all, all that kind of stuff. And then that's where I, that's where I stuck. Awesome. Yeah, that, that, that sounds really good. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually haven't had, and this leads into my next question, you actually haven't had like a conventional job, have you? You've always run your own businesses, right? Yeah, never. I've never had a proper job. No, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. To even from yeah. like, because you you must have been pretty young when you started your first um, like startup, right? Yeah, I was uh, I was nineteen when I started Match Chat, which is my first company with some very good friends of mine, George, James, uh, Stefan, and um, yeah, it's it's really funny. Actually, only like a month before I started Match Chat, I actually did apply for a job, and it was at a Sky call center in Sheffield. Oh, okay, and. And I showed up to the interview and I was the only one in the room that was wearing casual clothes. Everybody <laughs> else was wearing a shirt and like a white, like pressed white shirt and a suit. And it was a call center job. I mean, come on. And, um, and then I was like, oh boy, I do not fit in here. And then anyway, they made us do all the tests and do the phone call stuff and the mental maths. And I'm pretty sure I passed everything like really well, but I didn't get the job because obviously I didn't have the right attitude, but it doesn't matter. Cause then only a month later, I ended up just starting this company and well, the rest is history, right? It was, it was definitely the right choice for me to get rejected from there. But I did, I did get a mug. I did get a Sky mug, which is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were, 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 you, um, were you in uni when you started Match Chat then? Or, yeah, uh, yeah, you... yeah. I was, I was in uni at Sheffield, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's a lot more productive than what I was doing my sort of first year of uni from the start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Probably many people, right? Many people. <laughs> what, what led to that decision? Like, how did you meet uh, your co-founders and... What what made you take the jump? And say you know what I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna strike out and, and, and do this rather than you know waiting a little while because I think what a lot of people don't understand is you've just got to start 
like even for me I've, I've delayed doing this podcast for like a year and mm. it's something i'm trying to work on my personal life yeah so what yeah. what made you you and your co-founders decide you know we're at a young age whatever we're just going to try this well i i mean i have to be honest it wasn't me who went like i want to start it i where, where i that, that was down to george and james um and they kind of pulled me out of this like rut i was in and really just helped me go off to like this this epic life um but uh but essentially what happened was I went to university because it felt like the, the next step that you were just supposed to do after leaving school. But I actually already had a lot of doubts about whether I wanted to go or not when I was finishing my A-levels. And I kind of, I was trying to ask teachers this and talk to people and it really just kind of fell on deaf ears because I think for everybody, it just seems like if you've got any doubts, oh, just forget them, just go to uni. It's the thing you're supposed to do. So I went there and did computer science. Um, but I, I, from the moment I arrived, I just felt like it wasn't really, I, was, I felt like I wasn't learning the things I really wanted to learn. And maybe only 10% of my course was what I wanted to do. So right from the beginning, I had this feeling of like, maybe I shouldn't have come. And I was looking for any reason to just get out, you know, without just dropping out. I don't, I don't just want to leave and go back home or whatever. So I was, I was constantly just looking for opportunities or ideas. So I started trying to make my own things. I, I started just trying to get attention. Like I made some little tools, which like would... One cool one was it would go to the Pitchfork website, which is where a lot of new albums were getting reviewed and coming out. And it would automatically find a place on the internet for you to download that album. So you had like a Pitchfork list of all the top rated albums and you could just press download and it would give you the albums. This is before Spotify was really a big thing, right? So I was doing like, I was doing little things like that. And, um, and then one day out of nowhere, because I was in computer science, essentially I got an email which was sent to the entire department, which said, these two lads are looking for someone to build this incredible app because they don't know anything about tech. And I didn't even read the rest of the email. I just replied, <laughs> can we meet? <laughs> Literally within 30 seconds of receiving the email, I just went, let's meet. And then later on, I, I met them. I met them in just like some random place around the corner. That I think it was the same day even. And then they told me, they were like, yeah, you were just the first person to reply. We got loads of people after that, but you were the first. And then as soon as I met with them, like I just made sure that, they weren't going to go talk to anyone else. They weren't going to like pick someone else. Um, so yeah. And then I just, and then, and then we just ended up starting the company together and, and building it and raising all the capital and stuff. And then, and then, and then at that point it was a pretty obvious decision. I didn't have to be at university anymore. So yeah, we just went and did that. A lot of the time it, it really makes sense when, when you realize that actually you're learning more from running a business than, uh, than being in uni, it just, it just makes sense to move on to doing that full time. And had you yeah. already been programming a while then before you went to uni? Uh, in that case, if you were already experienced enough to build these kind of tools, um, to, yeah, yeah, I, I was, I was, I was, I was pretty much self-taught, and I, I, I was really lucky because my school was one of the only ones that actually was doing computing A level. So I, so I actually got to do a little programming as one of my A levels, which was really awesome. But it was all in like uh, Visual Basic. So I mean, this this is a tech podcast, so I can probably talk about it a bit. I think for most people, it will probably be too boring, but. Visual Basic is essentially like a very old Microsoft language, which you can make Windows apps with, like yeah. old, not not apps, but like EXE files, like the old school Windows EXEs. Um, so, I, so I did a bit of that, but I, I hadn't really done any web stuff at all. And then, but I was really good at Photoshop because of my art stuff. So, so, so when, so like after I met these guys for Match Chat, I just went off to my next lecture and sat in the back of the lecture and just Photoshopped up like a fake app. Like I made everything fake in Photoshop, sent it to them. And I was like, I could probably make this in like a month. I just ballparked it. And then they were like, yeah, let's do it. Like this looks amazing. And then, and then I was like, okay, now I actually have to figure out how to make all of this. So then I started learning about web development and jQuery. And I mean, it was a different world back then, right? There wasn't any React, there wasn't any NPM. 
Yeah, because um, I just kind of been... just figured it all out quickly. Like twenty ten ish, roughly, if I've got my timings right. Here. No, no, twenty twenty twelve. 2012, oh, okay, 2012. Yeah. Like Jan 2012, like that. Yeah, so like yeah. AngularJS was like brand new, like definitely no yeah, reaction. Exactly, was like yeah, exactly. 2014, so yeah. Oh yeah, it's, I uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel very lucky that I learned after NPM and React it all came out. But um, And VBS is, is very, I've never used it personally, but I've heard a lot of cool stories about, you know, what you can make with it. Because there was that lad in the Philippines, the high school student that basically ground the internet to a halt in 2001 with a VBS file. It was the, really? um, yeah, it was called the, the I love you virus where basically yeah, he would yeah, get I, into I someone's was, yeah. outlook, email 50 random con- contacts with basically like a message explaining that, uh, you know, admitting their feelings and stuff. And then basically you download this script and it basically rewrites like everything in your system. And several, mm. um, governments had to turn their outlook servers off. Like I think the UK government had to actually, uh, t- turn it all off because, I think um, politicians are quite prone to opening emails and uh, and downloading things without thinking about it, particularly back then as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do remember that. And I think the funny thing about that guy is when they asked him why he did it, he just went like, oh, I just wanted to see how far it would go. And then it went completely out of control. <laughs> yeah, because the thing was, he was a bit worried about it. He originally set like a geolock on it and said this, yeah. uh, I'm not going to let this go out of Manila. And then at the last <laughs> moment, he decided... Uh, he deleted that one line of code and then literally within weeks he basically brought half the internet down i, I don't think that's that right, sort of yeah. thing could happen right. anymore but uh it's uh that that was more of the wild west of the internet uh those days mm. but very cool i don't know but, um, it still happens yeah. don't you remember that do you remember that thing where like there were there was like a thing which was like go, go t- change your iphone's date to like 1969 uh, or something yeah. and then everyone's iphones would be like permanently broken and you'd have to go to the apple store to get them fixed yeah, because it's an integer wild. overflow, wouldn't it? If it, if because it, yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. It, it went, it went to like minus. The clock went to minus one on epoch time, and then it just, it just bricked the phone completely, and only Apple could could repair it. I mean, that was pretty wild. I think a lot of people were impacted by that. Yeah, because I think people will fall for that sort of thing. Social engineering feels like it's almost it's a bit of a paradox as technology improves social engineering becomes pretty, yeah it's, pretty it's easy. like it's like it's it, yeah I mean these kind of these it's like social engineering through memes right it's like a virus in like an idea format yeah I'd be like, pretty, oh, I think it's pretty funny here's the um here's the latest TikTok viral trend basically you've got to do a dance while showing the uh the back three numbers on your mum's credit card and the front as well and her yeah and her maiden name. <laughs> yeah <laughs> It wouldn't surprise me if that Mate, happened. I'm sure it's going to happen probably like next week. Like that, for sure. Yeah, if you're listening to this, uh, don't get any ideas. Uh, and uh, <laughs> um, But yeah, it's probably believable. Uh, I, I mean, in terms of, so Matt, Matt Chat is one of your businesses. How, how many businesses have you, um, have, have you run over your career so far? Um, well, I mean, in terms of, in terms of companies, um, like four but in terms of businesses, it's, it's, it's a lot more because I, I treat, you know, I, you know, I mentioned like projects before, like art. I treat like even inside a company, I treat like a pivot as like a new business, even if it's with the same people and the same company and, and things like that. So, yeah, like probably yeah, about five or six total. OK, cool. And that, that's been internationally as well, hasn't it? Because if I if I recall correctly, you, you said you're in Shanghai and you're running a studio out there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was I was running a development studio, and half the half the customers were in the UK, and they were kind of bank bankrolling a lot of the more interesting projects that I was doing. And then I was working on some more crazy stuff with just random people I was meeting through the startup scene out in Shanghai. Nice. So what what was the thought process uh, at a relatively young age to just jump on a plane and start a business on the other side of the world? I mean that that's pretty uh, that's pretty gutsy. Uh, how, um, how come you decided to do that? 
Well, I mean, it was mostly driven by love, to be honest, because my because my girlfriend, my long term girlfriend, who I'd been who I'd been with since I was in Newcastle, she she's from China originally, and she she ended up moving back there when all of her studies finished, and um, it was the relationship was almost kind of just winding down at that point because of the whole the different countries thing, and you know how it is like long distance. I don't think either of us were that like sure it was going to work long term, but. Um, so anyway, there was that, and it was that was kind of just like going away, but it was in the back of my mind as something I kind of missed. And then at the same time, I was in London just doing this like last gasp, like death spiral pivot on uh, this company now native with some of my friends. And we would, it was, we, we you wouldn't even believe, it's, it's too hard to explain where we pivoted from and where to, but essentially we ended up making widgets for advertisers to, to extract money from, from customers' eyeballs in like a more efficient way. And it was just so like soulless. And to be honest, I feel like the ad- the advertising industry is quite hard to break into if you're not the right type of person, you don't have the right connections. Um, so a lot, a lot of different factors combined, like lack of experience, lack of like belief in the product that we were making, being driven by the wrong things. I think it just ended up being a terrible idea. It was pretty quick failure, but it was a very devastating failure. I think it shook a lot of our egos and le- left us with a lot of self-doubt. So I did that classic startup thing at that point, which was just to run away and... Uh, where I ran to was where I felt like the only thing left in my life, apart from my family, obviously, was my girlfriend. So I, so I was like, okay, if I lose that too, then I really will have nothing. And I don't want to have absolutely nothing in the world. So I'll go just try and fix that relationship and maybe start again with a new foundation. And that worked really well. Like we reconnected out there. I stayed for ages. I loved the time I was in Shanghai. And then actually a lot of the things I saw ended up leading to one of the more successful companies I've done, which was La Salon, because China was years ahead of Europe in terms of personal services, mobile services, things like that. And I, I saw it all happening there. And I and I remember I saw like Erlamar, which was really big there. Uh, and another one, which was like a, it's like a kangaroo or something. I can't remember the, it's a kangaroo, but it's not delivery. It's like a yellow kangaroo. Anyway, they were super successful there and they'd been going for a few years. And I saw delivery just launching at the, in the UK at that time. And I was like, okay, this is going to be just as big in the UK as it is in China. It's going to take over the whole thing. So I started looking at all the other things that were big there and mobile manicures and stuff was one of them. Like I would be in a cafe working and I'd just see people like getting their nails done in the cafe. Someone would just show up with a bag and just do the nails and leave. And I was like, and then, and then through a friend of a friend, I got introduced to my co-founder now, JM, who was doing this business idea. It's just starting out in London. And um, yeah, sorry, I've like got carried away. I do this quite a lot. Um, I've <laughs> no, it's interesting. I, I was I was taken in. It's very it's very very interesting story. Well, yeah. Well, that well that's how I ended up back to London. But um, but what I was doing in Shanghai, I was essentially just playing around because I was there. I, I I really thought I was done with startups. I didn't want to go back in, even though I ended up returning and doing another one. It's just the the amount of time you have to put into them and the the amount of things you put on the line. It, it just it just felt like a very painful thing that I didn't want to do again. So what I did instead was I just focused more on standalone projects where I could launch something onto the internet, make some money from it, um, maybe like demonstrate my skills in a certain way, get like a really great contract and do that for a couple of months, you know, where I felt like I could have a material impact on something that was successful and I could see people using it in a positive way and things like that. And then also just working on crazy stuff, which didn't really pan out. Um, one, one interesting one was I did some work with a company who was doing game streaming which is really big now, right? It's just starting to pick up. But this was like five years ago. 
and they and the guy was telling me like don't worry man when 5g comes it's all gonna change everybody's <laughs> gonna be streaming games he, he had like a wi-fi router and like a massive gaming pc running the games and he was playing it on his phone in like a little flat and i was just like doing stuff with him just playing around with it like you know just for fun just experimenting with new technology did some vr stuff as well things like that nice so touching a lot of different areas then and yeah, that, that's funny that 5G was just around the corner then because that's how it still feels now. Like we literally yeah, have exactly. a mask that's, just yeah. out of range of uh, our flat and we're literally hanging our phone out the window. I, I mean, I, I've been out of London for a little while now, so I'm, I'm up in uh, up in Edinburgh, but um, I, don't, I don't know if it's any different in London where it's sort of gradually come, coming in. But yeah, it's not, not quite, unless you're right in the center of town here, it's not quite there yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I mean, China, China is ubiquitous, right? It's already done. Everyone's got it. It's, it's, it's really funny. But I mean, when it comes, it, it will be earth shaking. And it's probably another thing which was just predicted over there. Yeah, it, it really seems like things have flipped where all you have to do is look at, as you were saying, all you have to do is look at where China is now. And then, you know, that's where we are in five years. And then hopefully my stadia will be usable there then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think um, that cloud gaming and, and, and VR will, will will be huge here, but we just need the infrastructure for it. And I think, you know, we need to have full rollout of gigabit fiber and, and 5G, and we just don't have it yeah. yet. Yeah, honestly, I think that's one of the, the massive things just holding it back, which is why we haven't seen that, like, just that critical mass of people, like, playing those kind of games in that way and, and, and using VR. It just it just keeps seeming just around the corner, and it's just never ready. And then, but one But one day it will, and then I think we'll see some really amazing stuff. At one point, I thought about doing a startup in VR. I thought it would be really fun, but then I just felt like the the, the technology was so premature that I didn't want to take such a big bet on it and not know when it was going to be big. It's difficult, isn't it, balancing innovation and infrastructure because the two have to go together and one often is uh, innovation is usually way ahead of the infrastructure. What what was the startup in VR that you were curious about starting? Well, actually, it's something that's really big now, which is VR chat. So I, I I essentially wanted to make something that was like VR chat but this was way back when we were using Oculus developer kits and, and things like that. And um, there was one at the time which was called like Janus VR, which was which was really cool. And I saw some amazing potential in it. I essentially wanted to create, at the time I was being a digital nomad and I wanted to experiment with working inside VR. So I wanted to create like a digital office inside VR where everybody would wear their headset. This is, it sounds so dystopian now, but like I wanted everyone to wear their headsets all around the world in like little rooms, like Ready Player One. And then come into like the beach office and we'd have our monitors inside VR. We'd all sit in the room together on our desks and use, I don't know, use a controller or some motion tracking. Or I wanted to do something like that because it was definitely within my abilities to make it. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, it just wasn't really the right idea for me. And then look, it, it turned out that that wasn't exactly what we wanted from VR. VR chat, people go in, they, they, they can put on like any kind of avatar they want. They can become like, I don't know, like an alien or like a bear or something like that and just walk around and hang out with their friends and do random games i think that's a much better implementation yeah uh, we, we've been trialing something at work recently actually where it's more uh it, it's kind of semi-ar it's all browser-based where it's called a gather town so if we're having an innovation day like a hackathon uh, we all have a little avatar that wanders around a house and if you're within close proximity to each other you see each other's videos and you're able to chat and like there's presentation spots where you stand on a stage and then everyone in the house can hear you. It's pretty cool. It's like it's like Habbo Hotel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a few popping up. Actually, a friend sent me one. I'm just trying to find the link because a friend sent me another one just like that the other day, which was um, founded by the guys who did, I think it might have been Air Sorted or something like, or like the Laundrap. 
the, one of the founders of Laundrap is now started. Oh one. yeah, you know I saw he struck out on his own. Yeah, I did. I didn't know what I thought he was working on some version control thing, um, but uh, that that's it. Maybe they pivoted. Um, yeah, it could be. Uh, we or all, I could we be thinking of a, another it. co-founder. Actually, now that I think about it, because obviously there's multiple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to stall for time, but I can't find it anywhere. But essentially, it's the same thing. It was just like Habo, but it was like a virtual office. Um, to be honest, my opinion, my opinions changed on it because now, now that we've actually all gone to remote work and I've done so much remote over the years, I I feel like making like a fake version of the real world in the digital world is just actually kind of inefficient for communication. So I, f I feel like I think the way we're communicating or how we'll talk on Slack or instant message and things like that, I feel like they're way, they're just way more efficient than have a little avatar that walks around and use your arrow keys yeah. <laughs> to, to go up to someone and say, Hey, what's up? Like feels, it feels like the, for people who aren't ready to be digital, it's a good transition step, but it's not like the, the final place to go. But how, how did it work for you guys when you did those, those activities? It works pretty well. Um, it works very well in the context of like a hackathon because we're communicating all the time. It's nice. It, you get that team buzz uh, from it. So it, it, work, it works pretty nicely. Um, it's also just handy as a way to quickly present things. And there's obviously there's the fun factor of like dressing a character up as something stupid and wandering around. Like I, I, I've um, made my avatar <laughs> look just like Captain Birdseye. Uh, <laughs> so I've been walking around the old, um, you know, uh, the, the the lighthouse captain kind of look. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's fun and and it's it's like it's a it's a step beyond novelty. Like it's useful for hackathon situations. I'm I'm not sure. I don't think we would bring it in like nine to five. Um, but but yeah, it's worked quite well. I mean, you're you're very big on remote work then in general, like a big advocate for it. Yeah, actually, actually, the salon as of today is 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 one hundred percent remote. We actually have employees in, in different countries. So, in 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 Europe, we have we have people who are working with us now, and I don't I don't really see us going back to the way we were before uh, anytime soon, because I think I think we've managed to continue working very well remotely, and actually ended up being more productive. And it's it's obviously a passion of mine as well. I think I'm only really interested now especially now that I've got kids and, and family and things, it, I'm only really interested in remote working. I, I don't really mind meeting up with people and, and working together, but I prefer having full control over my day and the things that I do with it because it allows me to do more things, like get more things done. Yeah, I mean, I'm someone with very little life responsibilities uh, and I, I still find <laughs> it really useful to work from work from home. And it, it's right. awesome the way, the way, you know, companies going, like I, I work for Purple Bricks who are based in Birmingham um, yeah. But I live up in Scotland, and it, it's not an issue, and it, it's great. And wow, I always you're in Scotland. To back here. Yeah, yeah. I've always wanted Mate, to come back. You see, here I didn't yeah. like. I I didn't even need to ask. I didn't even know. And but you can see how good how good this works, right? The good, you could almost just be down the road in London, and it would it would be exactly the same. It's really the cool. thing is, normally you'd see sideways rain coming out of this window here, but uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of our few days of summer here today, so it's quite nice. Um, yeah. But, so, but, so where, but, so where yeah. are you? Are you in Edinburgh? Yeah, yeah, in Edinburgh. Yeah, so my, oh, my family's nice. sort of originally from here, and I always sort of promised myself I'd, I'd come back. Nice. And then uh, nice. Corona happened, the world went remote, and I capitalised. So I'm also similarly a big believer in remote work, and yeah. Um, I think definitely for me, I, if I ran a business, I would probably maintain an office. I mean, did, did you maintain that? Because you were in a like Hoban kind of way, weren't you? When I yeah, last yeah, met you, up I think you. I, I think you. I don't know if you came to visit, or we met just outside and went for a I walk. Think we did, I think we I walked the, to like Oldgate. The stairs. Um, I remember the stairs. Oh yeah, oh yeah, there were stairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we um we mate, we were actually so lucky, and this was a mass massive help in remaining like was to not hemorrhage cash during lockdown, but. We actually had a break clause, which was just around the corner when pandemic happened. 
in our, in our in our lease. And I mean, the landlords like fought tooth and nail to not let us break because they wanted the guaranteed income for the next like three years. But we just we we just broke the lease and left the building and um, immediately just all of our office equipment. We just like we're like, hey, everybody, just come in on this day and just take whatever you want, take <laughs> it home. And we we just we just kitted out everybody with great chairs, monitors, whatever printers, whatever they wanted, air conditioners, and then just just like completely, I don't know, like harvested the carcass of the office and closed it down and stayed that way. So it's it quite dramatic at the time, but it ended up working really well. I, I would encourage other offices to think, do they really need a, an HQ? Because it is so possible to run a company mm. remotely now. So do, do you ever like, are you planning on doing, obviously once COVID's fully blown over, are you planning on doing like full team meetups and uh, like a few times a year or, or are you planning on going just 100% remote, no, no need to meet the team in person? I think, I think what, I think what we've got in our minds and we, we've, We've done some of this with, with a little bit of success, but because we've got people abroad, it's it's not working super well yet. It's kind of like just meet up socially every month just to get that that um, that intangible, just kind of like team bonding, which which I think is, is a little bit, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to like break through when you're on remote work, unless you spend a lot of time in the day on a video call with someone. You're not going to get so close to them as you might in real life. But um, but yeah, but, but it's not working so well yet because of... Um, just like the abroad thing, so I, I don't know. I, I know companies who successfully every month they they just like whatever the cost, they just fly everybody from every country wherever they are to like a location, and they do like a, a holiday on a weekend every month, and it seems to work well for them. I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't see us doing that either, but we're looking for that in between yeah. thing. It'd be company, nice to do it company holiday can be chaos as well. So I've been on a few of those, and it, it really? can be yeah, it can be chaos because everyone's in the mood to party. So if you want to get work done, it doesn't yeah, well, good. yeah, a friend of mine. I, I won't, I won't say the company because because it will probably get them and the company in trouble. But yeah, they they did like a huge company wide one to Berlin or something, and they all just ended up in like in in the Berlin nightclubs like Berghain and stuff for the entire week. And yeah, some some pretty some pretty bad stuff happened. I think in terms of yeah. Party. We, we had one where um, I won't, again, I won't say the company, but those who know, <laughs> know. And uh, you worked with me when I was working for this company. And we, we had like parties <laughs> in the south of France with, with an open bar. And it was salespeople and recruiters. So you can imagine how we were. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the advertising world was a bit like that as well. There was like a, there were conferences that everyone would just go on like a circuit of. And it was basically just an excuse to party. Yeah, I, I could imagine the advertising world being very different from tech culture in general because it's very um i mean maybe i'm just getting my ideas here from mad men or something like that because I, I don't know very much about about the industry but uh from what i've understood and from what you've said about it if, if it's more about connections and that kind of thing i guess it's very yeah different. it's yeah it's very i don't know it's very like boys club kind of it's it's really not my world and i i, I was i really stuck out like a sore thumb when i was doing it but yeah it is, it is more like that 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 it's like their reputation the city has it's the same kind of thing it's like the deals get done when you all go to the pub at lunchtime and like that kind of thing yeah doesn't appeal to me yeah. i'd rather do the deal and then yes. then go to the pub well and, uh, yeah i'd I, I do I a just, pub quiz yeah yeah like i i prefer that it all gets done on merit right merit and quality and which 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 i that, that's one of the reasons i really love the tech industry i mean it's, it's no it's not perfect by any means but there is much more of a culture of like if the work gets done and it's done well then we're happy rather than anything else. Like there's a lot less politics, at least on our level. I don't know about big tech companies. It's... Yeah, I, I I agree. And from my experience, I, I just think there's less office politics because it's more easy to just, you know, get get stuff done and working collaboratively. Um, so it, it works quite well. And I mean, yeah, I've worked in companies big and small and, and, and in, in my experience, that's always been the case with tech. 
And I mean, in, I guess if we're talking about running businesses, um, what what would you say to someone who's because I, I, I from my listener data, I can tell a lot of people that listen to this are, are in university, which is great because you're already engaged enough to be listening to a careers podcast. So congratulations. Um, but secondly, <laughs> a lot of these people will probably be thinking about being an entrepreneur in the tech industry. And what, what would you yeah. say to someone who's sort of 18, 19, maybe in their first, second year of uni, they're keen to go and make, make a go of it. What, what, what would you advise them having been there and done that, done that yourself? Mm. I would probably, I would probably advise two things. So hi, everybody listening. Hope this advice works for you. Um, I would probably advise two things. The first thing is that, um, if you're thinking about going down this path, then it's probably slightly more of like in the popular opinion these days, but it's it's still different from like the straight and narrow, which we're all taught to follow in terms of our careers. And so it might feel like a massive risk to want to go down this path. And you might feel a lot of resistance, like from your friends, your family, like culturally, you know, to just like go, go and risk it all and all of that. But I really would say, especially in tech, it's like you're going to be quite safe, actually, because there's a good culture of people wanting to help each other and pay it forward. And if you know your stuff and you're trying to do something innovative, then someone will see value in that and will, will throw you a bone here and there. So it's not, it's not that dangerous. I would definitely encourage people to take those risks, especially when they're young, because you, you, once you start having fat commitments later in life, you won't get as many opportunities. And it's much, much harder when you've got a relationship or when you've got kids and you've got a home to pay the mortgage on. The right time to do it is when you're straight out of school. So, so definitely give it a try. And then the other thing is, um, yeah, like tech is just growing. It's, it's going to take, it's taking over the world and it's a growing industry and there's just such a, a hot demand for anybody who's got experience in tech. So I think even if you try it all and you fail, you're still probably going to land on your feet and have a really great job at the end of everything. So in my opinion, there's not too many downsides to doing it. Nice. That's a pretty resounding recommendation to j just go for it. And uh, if someone say, say they have taken a little step uh, along and um, they've got some kind of like MVP, how would you go about uh, raising funds if you're someone that doesn't have any kind of uh, not, not that much knowledge of the industry, maybe literally either still in university or just dropped out or just graduated and they, they have something, but you know, you're a pretty green team, like you, you're pretty new. How would you go about raising funds and making connections? Right. I would. So in, in Europe, I think, again, this is starting to change and it definitely wasn't as, as bad as when I started. But Europe is it's harder to raise money on an idea than it is over in the States. So in the States, you have an idea. Someone will probably throw a lot of cash at it if they like the sound of it. But in, the, in Europe, you, you need to prove a few more things. So if you've got your MVP, that's amazing. What I would do at this point is I would look at all the customers who are using your product, paying you money. Talk to them in really, really great detail. Ask them, why are they using it? What problem is it solving for them? What do they like about what you're doing? Then look at your MVP and ask yourself, is this really the MVP? What's here that's providing the most value? What's the killer feature? And almost try and like refine the product and, and cut it down to exactly the problem that you're solving for people. That will help you get more customers, I think. It will make it much clearer to sell it to people. And then also it will make it clearer to go and explain to investors why your company is worth investing in. Um, so, so I think you have to, in, in Europe, I think you have to be really, really like hot on that. You have to be like, this is the problem I'm solving. These are who my customers are. I know where more of them are. And I know exactly why they want to keep using my product. And these are all the other things we're going to solve for them too. And they've told us that these are the things they need solving. It's really important. So I, I would really go in with a customer focus and spend a lot of time talking to them. Um, yeah, that's, pro that's probably the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Would you say there's any point like, um, I guess, particularly with your experience of stuff like Match Chat, was there any point when you, you and your co-founders realized like, okay, this is ready now. This is ready to take up to the next level. Was there any, is there any signs to look out for? Well, yeah. So, well, Match Chat is actually a really funny, like failure story, I think, because so we didn't do the advice I just gave you. That's what we didn't do. And instead okay. we were like, deep down, we're like, we have nothing. So we're just going to like blag as much as we can and we're going to hustle really hard and show our energy and our enthusiasm and that should be enough to get us going and and, it, and that really did work like we were to, I mean together like when we were all together it's it's just crazy what we managed to convince people of like honestly just because the the energy and the enthusiasm that we had um so we were just we, we were the hardest workers we were always committed to everything like we we seem we seem to have the biggest ideas, but really, like we never really cracked that MVP. So what happened was we were following that Cinderella story of get your first investment, raise a bit more, and then go get a big fat Series A, and you're going to be billionaires. And that's that's the Cinderella story that we were following. But what happened was we were like, oh, it's been two years since our last fundraise. It's time for a Series A. And then we went and to do a Series A, and everyone was like. Um, like, this is not really a, that a good idea. Like, why are you here? You need to go solve this, 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 this. And obviously, we didn't understand any of that. And uh, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. Perhaps, perhaps if I did it again, I could have made Match Chat into a more of a success. But I think we didn't really approach it from the right the right angle. And the few customers that we did have, which were, were paying us like pretty well, which it was a, it was a B two B like monetization. So some of the tickets were pretty big, and we were getting money from advertisers like Adidas and people like that. But like, we didn't really like understand exactly what we were providing to them and we didn't have like the perfect product which is why i ultimately felt um so i would say to everyone if you want to do it like that there's a ceiling on how far you can go and it's it kind of sucks to fail after like three years of putting everything into it and not understand why so i would just go from the beginning to like get your mvp right get your customers right find out how you're delivering real value and maybe don't raise money because I don't know if you think about it like with, with musicians, but musicians, when they go independent and they don't sign to a label, they make 10 times the money they do when, they have, when they're signed to a label. And it's the same thing in, in, in startups as well. VC, VC money will help you grow quickly, but it might not help you like live the life that you want to live, like independent of other people and make your own decisions and things like that. If you crack the customer thing at the beginning, you'll be able to choose which one you want. You won't, you won't be trapped in one of them, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And the bootstrapping point's a really important one because this is certainly come, uh, sort of come, coming back to my, my sort of original business background is that, um, you know, the, the important thing to remember is if you give up 90% of your company and you sell for 20 million, you get 2 million. But if you bootstrap and you sell for 2 million, you, you get 2 million. You get 2 million. So it, yeah, it's, right. yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a and, which, and which business is harder to build? I mean, the harder, the, the business that's harder to build is the one that's five times the size. So like, it's, yeah. it's almost, I, I really think it's actually easier to get rich by doing it yourself. As long as you've got mm. the experience and the skills. It's an important, yeah, it's an important thing to remember. And I think that's, that's something as well that I would definitely take away if you're a potential entrepreneur in the making uh, is that bootstrapping is a underappreciated way of, of going about it. And there are a lot of resources where you can sell uh, and, and exit your business uh, for a lower amount. Like I've, I've been hearing a lot about services like MicroAcquire recently, uh, where people have been able to sell their businesses for a smaller amount. And then you can kind of roll that into something bigger and then start start uh, start another business because the business you start doesn't have to be the business for the rest of your life mm. yeah yeah 
for sure. Uh, yeah, cool. It's so I think, uh, we're, yeah, exactly. And um, I, I, th- I think we're running towards the end of our uh, sort of lunchtime slot here. So because uh, okay. this, this conversation about entrepreneurship definitely could have gone on forever. So I know how busy you are, um, <laughs> r- you know, running a business yourself. So um, thanks so much for taking the time out to speak with me. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people that are keen to start their own business and get into engineering w- um, will have gained a lot of insight for this. So thanks so much for your time, Nabil. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I, I hope I hope I was able to share a little bit that will be helpful to some of the listeners out there. So yeah, it's been real. Yeah, absolutely. It was a um, really, really awesome to speak to you. And um, for those of you who've made it to uh, the end of the podcast, thanks so much for listening. Uh, this has been Cam Blackwood with The Coder Career. You can check us out on YouTube and our website as well, if I've configured the back end correctly, which haven't yet but hopefully by the time this is out i have (laughs) so (laughs) see you next time and thanks very much cheers bye